Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. My essay this week is called Deeper Magic Before the Dawn of Time. It's based upon the lectionary readings for Sunday, March 31st, 2013, Easter Sunday. Forty days ago, we began Lent with the imposition of ashes and the recitation of Genesis 3.19. Remember that you are but dust, and to dust you shall return. In Latin, memento mori. Remember that you will die. This isn't just pious claptrap. It's some of our culture's best wisdom. Consider these two examples. At my church's Lenten series, we watch Ingmar Bergman's classic movie, The Seventh Seal, from back in 1957. From start to finish, this movie's a disquisition on mortality. A medieval knight named Antonius Bloch struggles with a double dose of death. He's returned from the barbaric crusades only to find his Swedish homeland ravaged by the plague. Sensing the futility of life and the specter of death, Bloch tries to recover his faith and perform what he calls one meaningful act before he dies. Then, in poetry, there's the poem Obeyed by Philip Larkin. Larkin began working on his poem in 1974. It was first published in the Times Literary Supplement on December 23, 1977. The critic A.N. Wilson called it a poem of unquestionable greatness. It's about a special way of being afraid, says Larkin, of the sure extinction we travel to. The poem's a little long, but well worth the effort. Listen to Philip Larkin's Obeyed. I work all day and get half drunk at night. Waking at four to soundless dark, I stare. In time, the curtain edges will grow light. Till then, I see what's really always there. Unresting death, a whole day nearer now, making all thought impossible but how and where and when I myself shall die. Arid interrogation. Yet the dread of dying and being dead flashes afresh to hold and horrify. The mind blanks at the glare. Not in remorse, the good not done, the love not given, time torn off unused, nor wretchedly because an only life can take so long to climb clear of its wrong beginnings, and may never, but rather at the total emptiness forever, the sure extinction that we travel to and shall be lost in always, not to be here, not to be anywhere, and soon, nothing more terrible, nothing more true. This is a special way of being afraid, no trick dispels. Religion used to try, that vast moth-eaten musical brocade created to pretend we never die. 
In specious stuff that says no rational being can fear a thing it will not fear, not seeing that this is what we fear. No sight, no sound, no touch or taste or smell, nothing to think with, nothing to love or link with, the anesthetic from which none come round. And so it stays just on the edge of vision, a small, unfocused blur, a standing chill that slows each impulse down to indecision. Most things may never happen. This one will. In realization of it rages out in furnace fear when we are caught without people or drink. Courage is no good. It means not scaring others. Being brave lets no one off the grave. Death is no different wine deck than withstood. Slowly light strengthens, and the room takes shape. It stands plain as a wardrobe, what we know, have always known, know that we can't escape, yet can't accept. One side will have to go. Meanwhile, telephones crouch, getting ready to ring in locked-up offices, and all the uncaring, intricate world begins to rouse. The sky is white as clay with no sun. Work has to be done. Postmen, like doctors, go from house to house. This great death poem, says the atheist Julian Barnes, isn't a nihilist rant or the product of Larkin's morbid melancholy. Rather, his fear is what Barnes calls a rational and clear-eyed consequence of remembering death. And the atheist Chris Hitchens, on his veritable deathbed, described Obeyed as, quote, a reproof to Hume and Lucretius for their stoicism. Fair enough in one way, atheists ought not to be offering consolation either. The earliest believers interpreted the life and death of Jesus in different ways, as substitute and sacrifice, ransom and reconciliation, adoption and example. But pride of place goes to what's called Christus Victor, another ancient view that was reinvigorated by the modern Swedish theologian Gustav Allen, who died in 1977. The idea that in his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus conquered the powers of sin, death, and evil that enslave us. The Apostle Paul says as much. Jesus destroyed death, our last enemy. He disarmed the powers and authorities and made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Jesus tasted death for everyone, and through death he rendered powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. And so the paradox, that by death, Jesus conquered death. C.S. Lewis called this the deeper magic before the dawn of time. This deeper magic, says Markheim, comes into the Narnia story as an unexpected development, something about which the evil powers knew nothing. 
and when Aslan rises, the ancient stone altar on which the sacrifice was offered cracks and crumbles in pieces, never to be used again. The gospel, then, is not ultimately about the exchange of victims, but about ending the bloodshed. Whereas Lewis appealed to allegory, Rowan Williams, former Archbishop of Canterbury, turns to science. At Easter, he says, we are really standing in the middle of a second Big Bang, a tumultuous surge of divine energy as fiery and intense as the very beginning of the universe. And so every Sunday, and especially Easter Sunday, we confess the Apostles' Creed, that Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. The harrowing of hell on Holy Saturday, after Friday's crucifixion, and before Sunday's resurrection, is the most important day in salvation history that we almost never mention. This isn't Plato's immortality of an immaterial soul. It's the resurrection of your body. Nor is this some private benefit. Isaiah 65 imagines a new heaven and a new earth. Paul says that God in Christ will reconcile to himself all things, having made peace through the blood of his cross, whether things on earth or things in heaven. He will sum up or bring together all things in heaven and on earth. So with the end of Lent, we can breathe Easter now, in the words of Gerard Manley Hopkins, for Easter promises that God shall strengthen all the feeble knees. And for further reflection, we have posted the poem with which I end this essay. It's called Easter Communion by Gerard Manley Hopkins. Pure fasted faces draw unto this feast. God comes all sweetness to your Lenten lips. You striped in secret with breathtaking whips. Those crooked, rough-scored checkers may be pierced to crosses meant for Jesus's. You whom the East, with draught of thin and pursuant cold so nips, breathe Easter now. You surged fellowships, you vigil keepers with low flames decreased. God shall o'erbrim the measures you have spent with oil of gladness for sackcloth and frieze and the ever-fretting shirt of punishment. Give murray-threaded golden folds of ease. Your scarce-sheathed bones are weary of being bent. Lo, God shall strengthen all the feeble knees. For books this week, I review a title by David Foster Wallace. It's a collection of essays called Both Flesh and Not, 
New York Little Brown and Company, 2012, 328 pages. Fans of David Foster Wallace, who died in 2008, will be glad to have this posthumous collection of 15 nonfiction essays, all of which were previously published but are now collected into one volume for the first time. They showcase Wallace's remarkable breadth of knowledge in his playful writing style. There are essays here about math in movies, sports and prose poems, the fun or lack thereof of writing, and lexical observations about words. The essays also demonstrate Wallace's trenchant critique of culture. There's no such thing as casual sex, he observes. The power and purpose of television is to make us keep watching. His essay on David Markson's novel, Wittgenstein's Mitras, reprises his long-standing interest in what he calls ultimate loneliness. The movie Terminator 2 is what he calls special effects pornography. And in a culture of total noise and information overload, to really try to be informed and literate today, he says, is to feel stupid nearly all the time. Some of these essays now feel dated. I would have enjoyed an introductory overview of Wallace's life and work. Wallace was the ultimate word nerd, but he could be a victim of his own braininess, too. In one essay, he warns about using noxious puff words, for example, but then he can't resist using words like horripilative when hair-raising or goosebumps would have been just fine. The essays contain his trademark run-on sentences. Wallace also had his own carefully calculated verbal tics. But at least some readers, for at least some readers, Wallace's fiction, like Infinite Jest, is where the real action is. His nonfiction was a convenient way to put bread on the table. In the end, it's good to know that the publisher judged that the reading public is still interested in one of the most important voices of his generation. David Foster Wallace, a collection of posthumous essays, both flesh and not. For film this week, we go to the country of Burma, now known as Myanmar. The title of the film is They Call It Myanmar, from the year 2012. Next to North Korea, <coughs> Burma might be the most closed country in the world. Robert Lieberman, a physicist at Cornell, was invited to Burma by the State Department. He spent two years documenting what he experienced. Burma is a land of contrasts. It has Buddhist temples that are 2,500 years old. It's home to 130 ethno-linguistic groups. But with the history of British colonization, Japanese occupation, 
in a military regime since 1948, it has suffered horribly. Child labor, regular power outages, brain drain, hunger, and abysmal health care and education have taken their toll. The 2008 Cyclone Nargis killed 130,000 people. Aung San Suu Kyi, the iconic opposition politician, was under house arrest for 15 years. But maybe things are changing. Since this film was made, both Hillary Clinton and President Obama have visited Burma, with signs from both sides of political change. I watched this film on Netflix streaming. The title of the film, they call it Myanmar, 2012. And for poetry this week, we've posted the poem that I just read, Easter Communion, by Gerard Manley Hopkins. Gerard Manley Hopkins lived from 1844 to 1889. Pure fasted faces draw unto this feast. God comes all sweetness to your Lenten lips. You striped in secret with breathtaking whips. Those crooked rough-scored checkers may be pieced to crosses meant for Jesus. You whom the East with draught of thin and pursuant cold so nips, breathe Easter now. You surged fellowships, you vigil keepers with low flames decreased. God shall o'erbrim the measures you have spent with oil of gladness. For sackcloth and frieze and the ever-fretting shirt of punishment give murray-headed golden folds of ease. Your scarce sheathed bones are weary of being bent. Lo, God shall strengthen all the feeble knees. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net. For Sunday, March 31st, 2013, Easter Sunday, I'm Daniel B. Clendenin.